It's the All Things Strange Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent Anderson and Agent Ether. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can find all of our wonderful links in the description on the link tree, where you can find our Discord, our Patreon, our merchandise, and more. This week's episode... 1947, Part 2. The here, we, here we are again. I can't believe it's been a whole week. The UFO flap of... 47. Yeah. We didn't do that. Actually, last week we didn't do it live because, I don't know, our schedules were pretty hectic last week. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, we did it on like a Sunday. <laughs> apologies, but here is Part Two. And do we have anyone today in our live audience you'd like uh, to give a shout out to? Yeah, we've just started here. We've got a, a pretty small audience this week. We've got Titanium over dot, dot, dot and Axe with a capital X. Welcome, welcome. Yeah, welcome, guys. Welcome to the show. All right. Well, we've, uh, without any, do you have any announcements or anything? Announcements, announcements. Yes, no. I don't know. I can't think of anything. Do you remember that from camp? Happy holidays. I don't know. You remember going to camp and they would they would do that? You're looking at me with a blank stare. Yeah, they so didn't do that no. at my camp. No, that's no. like a little little morning song they did, sing song. Hmm. Nah, we did not have that. Did you go to camp? Yeah, summer camp. No, it was during school. Oh, I went to summer camp. My oh. parents stuck me in there all summer long. It was a real bummer. All summer. All summer long. Dang. It's like you know, sitter sitter for your kids. I guess. On the cheap. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, where can I find this? I, I need to get in on some of this action. It was at the Y. I think it's probably more expensive now. Oh, yeah. Well, probably. All right. Well, let's get into it. Let's do it. Let's start right away where we left off uh, with June 28th, 1947. Uh, I won't do an introduction to this one like I did last time because it's sort of redundant, but I'll do maybe a short, short version. In 1947, there was a, a really, really crazy UFO flap. Lots of UFOs flying all over the place. It was bananas, man. All right, let's go. June 28th, Rockfield, Wisconsin. This On this day, Marion Buescher and her brother saw seven to ten saucer-shaped objects fly directly over their home, quote, like blue blazes. We need to bring that back, the blue blazes. I don't know what that is. Just means really fast. Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. So it's like a phrase. Yeah, kind of like bee's knees or something, you know? Bee's knees. <laughs> Do bees even have knees? I don't know. Anyways, here's a note from the Blue Book file about this case that I found pretty uh, particularly interesting. Information given here is insufficient to indicate what was seen, even though the, uh, the witness said <laughs> it was a flying saucer. If this were a totally independent observation and not one that was presumably incited by current radio reports of flying saucers, more weight could be given to it. And this is an interesting quote because it's like they're assuming everybody is lying no matter what, unless they can somehow prove otherwise, because 
if it was an isolated report with no corroborating witnesses or anything else going on, then they would say, well, this is bullshit unless somebody else reports the same thing. It didn't happen. But now we have somebody reporting the same thing as a lot of other people. And they're saying, well, because so many people are reporting it, it's probably just mass hysteria. So you just can't win, you know? Anyways, continuing with the quote, as it is with flying saucer talk rampant, almost anything from meteors to balloons or aircraft would be reported as saucers by an uncritical observer. It is, listen to this last part though. It is unlikely, however, that there was anything astronomical about this incident. So you're saying there's a chance, right? <laughs> exactly. It doesn't make any sense, does it? No, it's like he contradicts himself. This sounds like uh, it was not signed, but this sounds a lot like J. Allen Hynek. He would write stuff like this where he'd have a part in the beginning, which, you know, it sounds like, okay, this is what they're making me write. And then he would conclude with something that contradicts that. <laughs> so he's saying here, it's all bullshit, but you know, it's kind of not bullshit. Um, it's kind of interesting to the logic here. He's suggesting that, or she, whoever wrote this, probably, probably Hynek. So I'm going with he, um, maybe people aren't imagining things because you heard it on the radio. Maybe there's actually stuff flying around and that's why they're reporting it. You know, it's kind of a weird logical tangle that you get here that, you know, people are reporting stuff because they heard it on the radio, not because they're seeing stuff kind of strange. All right. Do you want to talk about the next one? Do I? Do I? Do I? Sure. Hold on just a sec. Let me click back. And we're talking about the Maxwell Air Force Base sighting in Montgomery, Alabama. June 28th, same day. Same day. So you have four officers, and that makes up uh, two intelligence officers and two pilots, so people who are pretty high up in the ranking, you know, trustworthy. Captain W.H. Keiko, Captain J.H. Cantrell, Captain Redman, and First Lieutenant T. Dwui saw a bright light just above the southwest horizon travel towards them in a zigzag with bursts of high speed when directly overhead it made a sharp 90 degree turn before being lost to view. Sharp 90 degree turn. <laughs> it's almost like it was showing off. <laughs> or something. That's weird. I mean, airplanes don't do that. Or astronomical events. Meteors certainly don't do that. Meteors can change direction or appear to change direction. Sometimes they can come down and they can sort of deflect off of the atmosphere and change direction back up or something like that, but they certainly don't make 90 degree turns. And there's a blue book file on this. And interestingly enough, it's unclassified. Does it say unclassified on it? It does. Unclassified, I believe. I'm not an expert on this. If you want to know more about this kind of thing, Go check out the Black Vault and also the podcast that John Greenwald Jr. does. It's really good. But he gets into the weeds with this kind of stuff. But from what I understand, if it says unclassified on it, that means it was classified mm. and it has been declassified. declassified. Okay. But they don't say declassified. They say unclassified. That's very interesting. So I'm looking over this report from the Maxwell Air Force Base, and it's saying that the time of the sighting, the duration of the sighting was over five minutes. It happened at a great height where it changed course several times and traveled with fragment bursts of speed. There was no sound and it was slightly brighter than the stars with a brilliant light. Yeah, it, it doesn't say that the object stopped, 
but from this description, like it's traveling in like a zigzag pattern, it seems like it'll zig and then kind of slow down and almost stop and then zag and almost stop and then, you know, move back and forth until it came right. directly overhead. That's really weird. I can't think of anything that would do that. So one of the witnesses placed a call to the airfield operations asking them if there were any experimental aircraft craft in the area, but no plausible explanation was offered for this unusual source of light. Yeah, uh, um, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Let's see. And the report continues. It talks a little bit about Project Sign, it looks here. And then there's a bunch of sightings. And I saw this in the previous Blue Book file as well, where it's a list of sightings from 4748 with the location, the observer, and the evaluation. So there's 30 of them total. And it looks like the data they used to conclude um, what kind of sighting it was. So things like insufficient data, one is classified it as missiles. Hmm. Another sighting is uh, classified as contrails, stars and planets, weather balloons, and in one case, the sun, and Maury Island, of course, they classify as a hoax. So somebody reported the sun as a UFO. It says sun dog. Do you oh, think it's a type dog. of airplane? No, a sun dog is an optical illusion. It happens when you have like ice crystals in the air and the sun's shining through them. Google it real quick. It's really cool looking. Uh, they're fairly rare. I've never seen one myself in person, but look up the picture. They're pretty neat looking. Okay, hold on. I can't type. This is also, this is pulled, they dust this one off once in a while for UFO sightings. Oh, look For example, at that. The, the famous Nuremberg sighting, which I forget what year that was. It was a long time ago. I think I did that in episode number four or something. And uh, that one, they said it was just a sun dog because part of the painting that somebody painted of the event, it looks kind of like a sun dog, but there's also a bunch of UFOs and stuff in the painting. But yeah, it looks pretty cool, right? It does. It does look pretty cool. For anyone who's wondering, it's like a halo of light around the sun. Yeah, I'm not sure how somebody could think that was a UFO, but it's it would be awesome to see that. Have you ever seen anything like that? I have not. Maybe the sun was just setting really fast that day. Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> no, but those, from what I understand, sun dogs are more common in much colder areas. We live in an area that I would classify as kind of chilly, you know? But it doesn't snow here, so it's not like Alaska or something. It, it got cold this week. It was below 30 at one point. That's 30 Fahrenheit. I have an aunt in North Dakota, and she said it was minus 12 in the morning. She's like, it's yeah. a brisk morning at minus 12, and I should not complain about my 30-degree temperature. See, she probably would see a sun dog with a minus 12, but yeah. 30s might not be cold enough. I don't know. But all right. Anyways, you ready for me to move on to the next one? Go for it. All right. We've got several here coming up on June 29th. I'll do the first one from Des Moines, Iowa. At 3.45 p.m., Dale Bays saw a single-file line of four dirty white round or oval objects that he estimated were 175 to 250 feet in diameter and 12 feet thick, which, so that means it must have been, you know, a relatively thin disc and about 1,200 feet altitude. 
traveling about 300 miles an hour to the south southeast and it sounded well it had a sound like an electric motor he saw a second group of 13 objects heading south southeast to north northwest a couple minutes later and these sightings lasted a few minutes so it was over pretty quick they're going pretty fast traveling at a fairly low altitude in single file yeah which i think is really interesting if you saw that nowadays what would you think bunch of lights in single file i would think starlink but not yeah. at 1200 feet during the day no that's true that's true i'm just saying got a lot of pictures of starlink out there i don't know it went up into space i don't know what latitude des moines is but i doubt in june that the 3:45 p.m is nighttime <laughs> so yeah the blue book file says if they were not ordinary objects mistaken for something else by the observer they were really unusual aircraft and it sounds almost certain that someone else would have reported them. There's insufficient information for proper evaluation. However, there is no astronomical explanation for this incident. Interesting. All right. So we have another case file for you here. Case 854 from the report of the UFO wave of 1947, June 29th over Medford, Oregon. At around 1 PST, so middle of the day, on June 29th in Jacksonville, Oregon, there was a sighting that was reported, and apparently there was a V formation of UFOs. It was actually seen by a group of people, and they were a little wishy-washy on the date, meaning they weren't sure if it was on a Sunday or the day before. It sounds like they wrote in uh, to report what they had seen later than the actual date. But they think it was a Sunday afternoon, and they'd gathered together just above the California uh, border, and the group included a doctor, one Peter Vogel, MD, and his wife uh, from Santa Clara, eight members of their family, and 10 other people non-related. And this was about 15 to 20 miles southeast of Jacksonville, and the formation was traveling towards Medford. We've actually been to Medford, right? Yeah, that's Medford, where... Medford, Oregon. That's where that's we have where a... Agent Auntie moved here for <laughs> a little bit. Agent Auntie, yeah. So we've actually been up there. Beautiful area. I think we went in the fall. So there were nine objects total, and according to one Mrs. Cunell... The objects were as white as snow geese. That's what she's quoted as saying. As they came closer, they became blue-white, quote, like a fluorescent bulb light, unquote. They were sharply outlined and were solid, also translucent, like a light pebbled frosted bulb. They were twice the size of the full moon, at least the ones nearest the witness. That's they pretty big. Angular size, that is enormous. Is it? Now I'm thinking about it. Yeah. And that's the size of the individual objects, and they saw a series yeah. of objects. So each one made a spiral, ascend one after the other, and then each went behind a cloud. They left no vapor trails. And while we're waiting for you to catch up, I'd just like to say that uh, from the chat here in Discord, Axe says hi. 6 a.m. here. It's like a year since last time I was here. Well, welcome back, Axe. Glad to have you. And flag. Another flag? <laughs> I should get you your own flag button. You should. I'd love to press it, though. That would be bad. 
because I would end up pressing it at random times. Just for kicks? Well, you know, I used to drive around with my brother when we were much, much younger, and he had just gotten his license, and we would be going somewhere together, I don't know, the beach, let's say. And I would lean over randomly and just press his emergency blinker. <laughs> I thought it was the most hilarious thing in the world. I thought it was so funny. And now Agent uh, Redacted sometimes will try and do it when I'm in the car and I yell at him. It's actually really annoying. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I have another story for you. Agent Ether used to sometimes randomly honk my horn when I was driving. <laughs> and until I eventually, you know got mad at her and said, please don't do that anymore. Because, you know, a horn should be used with reservation. It should only be used in circumstances where it's needed. Otherwise, people become accustomed to it and it no longer means anything. Like a car alarm. Nobody pays any t attention to those at all anymore. That's true. I don't pay any attention to car alarms except maybe to think, what an asshole. Who <laughs> 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 left his... Why doesn't somebody come out here and turn off their car alarm? But that's usually in the middle of the night. Yeah. And then I'm like... oh. I think that's my car. <laughs> <laughs> that has happened to me before. Yeah. One time I was working out and I rolled over on my keys, which I had put in my, my waistband for my sweatpants. And uh, I accidentally set off my alarm and I was in the gym. I was like thinking, you know, working out like, who's that asshole? And then somebody's like, hey, dude, that's your car. Like, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> was that at judo? Yeah, I was at judo. That's yeah. awesome. That's hilarious. <laughs> uh, so. Whoa, hold on, hold on. Okay. Axe says negative 12 centigrade is not even that bad. We had last week negative 44 and now negative 21. Hold on. Let me convert. It was negative 12 Fahrenheit. Damn. He says negative 44 is the coldest. That's that's really cold. Okay. Let's see. Yeah. Where where are you? Like on the moon or something? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very chilly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I guess that's not that chilly. Oh, Finland. Okay. Oh, Finland. That's really yeah. cool. I guess hello from the U.S. We have Agent Redacted actually wants to visit Svalbard. I got him a shirt from Svalbard and a book um, by Mil Mur Bill Murray about his travels through the Icelandic areas and some of the colder areas of Canada. I have no idea why it's remote. Uh, they do have, you know, the Northern Lights going on, which I would love to see, but there's like... So few jobs, everything's super expensive, but he has his heart set on going. Yeah. I'm not sure what he's going to do there, but hey, if he wants to go, then more power to he's him. He's going to go work and be cold. So I looked it up. Negative 44 Celsius is negative 47 Fahrenheit. That's pretty chilly. That's really cold. Add a little wind factor and you shouldn't be outdoors. I've been in the mountains before where it was like zero degrees out, maybe slightly less than zero. And that was pretty dang chilly. I can't even imagine. I actually grew up in Germany, so it did get it did get cold, not Finland cold. But I remember going out and I had to have earmuffs and like my nose was so cold, it hurt. Yeah. Just like cold to the touch. Nobody yeah. can see me touching my nose because we're not live. Well, we might, do, we might do some video stuff soon though. If I was on video, you would see me patting my nose ridiculously. I've been learning some video editing stuff on DaVinci Resolve. I just started doing that. Uh, well, I mean, I've been doing it continuously, but today especially I was put aside a couple hours for it. So uh, a little bit of a learning curve, you know, it's not that easy. But I do have a friend who knows how to do this stuff too. So I can always ask that friend for a question. That would be um, 
or ask that friend for advice. That would be a uh, agent Locke. He actually knows how to edit video, so I can I can bug him when I'm when I get stuck. It's been a long time since you had Locke on the show. I know he does. He's kind of shy. He doesn't want to come on. Aww. But he has, dude. We have conversations about this stuff all the time, and I'm like, dude, you should come on the show because this you have really good ideas. But he's sort of he's sort of nah. I don't want to. He, he's sort of. I think he's like stage fright or something. I don't know. Well, there's not much more to this case. Um, in Ashland and Medford, both were visible from the hillside where the witnesses stood. So they're up on a hill, and on one side they could see Ashland. On the other side, <clears throat> they could see Medford because the towns are only 20 miles apart. And the formation took about 10 minutes to travel that entire distance. And the witnesses calculated their speed at 120 miles per hour. Uh, she said that the objects did not reappear, but there was a cloud that stayed oval and stationary for over an hour. So she seemed to think the UFOs and the cloud were related. Huh, interesting. That's not unusual. I've seen reports like that before. What does it mean? I don't know. So that's what we got for Medford. For June 28th. Now, moving on. Oh, you know, that was the 29th, actually. So we... We've done, we've done a couple for 29th. So another one from the 29th, a lot of them on the 29th here is another one, June 29th, about 20 miles east-northeast of Las Cruces, New Mexico. This one happened at about 1.15 p.m. A scientist or in, a scientist slash engineer, rocket guy, named Dr. Carl Zahn, uh, working at the USN Naval Research Lab, was uh, I guess that's his regular job. He's temporarily assigned to the White Sands Proving Ground. Uh-oh, we haven't done an episode on it yet, but man, there's a lot of stuff going on at the White Sands Proving Ground. A lot of UFO activity there. Another scientist named Curtis C. Rockwood, his wife, and a technician named John R. Kauk, C-A-U-K-E, or no, K, K-A-U-K-E, if Agent ETA was here, he'd probably pronounce that a little bit differently. They were driving in a car from Las Cruces to WS White Sands Proving Ground, WSPG, going northeast when they saw on the right-hand side a silvery or shiny disc rotating. It had no wings, tail, or protrusions or anything like that. And it looked like it was either like pulsating or reflecting the sunlight. Maybe it was like spinning, you know, some of these sightings that we've talked about, people reported a spinning disc. It was crossing the speed at a very high speed, crossing, crossing the, excuse me, crossing the sky at a very high speed. And they estimated that its altitude was between eight and 10,000 feet. Wow. While it was going, traveling, it suddenly disappeared midair in a clear, cloudless sky, just gone. Uh, Kauk stopped the car. I'm trying to pronounce that one <laughs> carefully. And briefly, he looked out and he briefly, he saw a short vapor trail at one point, but the other people did not see this. Uh, and the other witnesses also were able to look out when they stopped. This was approximately a 60-second sighting. All right, Agent Ether. Well, I was looking over the Blue Book file on my end, yeah, and it looks like they think it was a meteorite. That was what it ended up being classified as. 
meteorites don't look I'm like... not saying it was. <laughs> I'm saying that's what it ended up being classified as. You're talking about some very... The, the, these people we're talking about here would be familiar with meteorites. I'll just say that. We're talking... So the White Sands Proving Ground, that's where they tested missiles, basically. And the people working there would be scientifically aware of things like meteors. <laughs> it's not like they've never seen one before. Ooh, there's some newspaper clippings. All right. You know, I'm a sucker for newspaper clippings. And the headlines include missile expert reveals seeing flying saucer and saucers seen by rocket expert flight over desert described. It's kind of difficult to read as it normally is. So let me blow it up and see if I can read anything. A Naval Research Laboratory guided missiles expert yesterday described a flying saucer he and two fellow scientists had observed June 29th near White Sands, New Mexico, but admitted his unofficial report to Army officers there drew only fish-eyed stares. Fish-eyed stares. Nice. Dr. C.J. Zahn of 1400 Block, Mellon Street. Oh, yeah, give the guy's address. <laughs> was in New Mexico to observe a V-2 launching test for the Navy. Four days before the test, he and Curtis C. Rockwood, also attached to the research laboratory, and John Kauk, stationed at the White Sands testing area, were driving a short distance to the launch site. He suddenly spotted a change column, da 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 da, and unfortunately not legible. Let's see, a mirage by means of mass hypnosis. I see some sort of mention of that. A Navy guided missile expert recalls the sky phenomena in Europe. So it, it talks about him discussing a different sighting. Uh, talks about American pilots seeing floating balls of fire in the sky. Uh, if I look over here, long pause. We're both, we're both missing the most important part of this story. Which is? It went right over my head at first, but now that I'm looking at it again. Well, do you notice something about the name Curtis Rockwood? No. That is an awesome porn star name. <laughs> Yeah, there's a reason it, it failed me, and that's because I would I don't pay attention to things like that. You're missing ETA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next one. Yeah. Because we got still quite a lot to go. I do want to mention that there is a NICAP website specifically just for New Mexico sightings in, in the flap of 4748, and there were quite a lot. We pronounce it NICAP on this show, but... It's spelled N-I-C-A-P dot O-R-G, a tremendous... What do you pronounce it? Kneecap. Why? Because Agent ETA suggested we do that, and I liked it, so okay. now we do it. That's fine. I just thought it was NICAP, that's all. No, it is NICAP. I'm so confused. But we say kneecap. Okay, and next we have a report of P-80 pilot sees circular object which dived and then landed. So there is a report on this. Let me go ahead and open up the kneecap, you said? 
NICAP. And this is uh, June 30th, so the following day. So near, near the south rim of the Grand Canyon in Arizona. But it's another military sighting, which is interesting. Yeah. At the Williams Air Force Base. And it's the conclusion of the report is possibly a meteor. At nine in the morning. At nine in the morning. And there were also two objects. The course was straight down. There were light gray traveling at a very high read rate of speed. So, yeah, that's basically the case. I mean, uh, William Lieutenant William McGlinty was flying his P-80 at 30,000 feet heading south, and he saw two gray circular objects, and they were diving at a very high rate of speed from 25,000 feet. And that's pretty much all there is to this one. Uh, that's a quick summary. I mean, I'm sure if you dig a little deeper, you can find more. But he says that it appeared to land 25 miles south of the Grand Canyon. So that's pretty interesting. That's a very interesting detail. Anytime you have a landing, that is definitely unusual. Yeah, most of them are just flybys. Yeah. Checking us out. Do you want to do the early 1947 one next near Malta in the Mediterranean Sea? Uh, yeah, sure. So early July. So we're moving on from June to July, finally. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot going on here in 1947. All right. So, well, there's one before that. Wait, we've done this one. This is the one with the black submarine. That was the really weird one where the fishermen were out and a submarine popped up and the little men started running around. Oh, yeah, yeah. We did that last one, last week, huh? Yeah, it's in here twice. Maybe they weren't sure what date it was, so they put it in here twice. Maybe. But there's another one before that in early July, 1947, in Nashville, Tennessee. They're not sure the exact date, but there was a report of a landed disc with two occupants seen. So I don't know why, but for me, the reports are more genuine when there aren't witness accounts of extraterrestrials. That's just well, bias. It depends on the witness accounts of extraterrestrials. If you have... I don't know, somebody saying that, uh, you know, an alien barbecued pancakes for them and then they took the pancakes and they had them analyzed and the analysis showed that they were perfectly normal pancakes, but they just didn't have any salt in them. <laughs> uh, that's, a real, that's a real case, by the way. But, you know, when you hear stuff like that, you're kind of like, all right, whatever. But then when you hear other cases like the school children in Africa. Point, point where you have multiple witnesses. It just depends. It depends on the case, case-by-case case basis. And then you have cases like um, like the, uh, what's that one in West Virginia? It's the, um, the Flatwoods Monster that even though you had multiple witnesses, the description is just so... Outrageous. It's just so bizarre. It's hard to believe, even though you do have witnesses, multiple witnesses, you know? We did a case on that one, by the way. It was uh, just me and myself and ETA, I believe, but... That one's so weird, it's hard to believe. Hold on, I'm going to faint. A message just popped up in my inbox yeah. on my computer. Your bill for PG&E is projected to be $400. Oh, my God. I know. We don't even use our heater. For the audience who is listening, our heater is set on, what, 66 during the day, and we lower it to as low as 62 at night and pile on the blankets because our electricity is expensive. Expensive. Well, and we've we did a whole episode on it, but it's really depressing too because 
PG&E is vindictive. They are charging people for their own murders. They've lost court cases and had to pay up money. And every time they do that, they just recoup that money from the ratepayers. It's insane. It's an insane system. So they, they have no moral hazard whatsoever. They can just do whatever they want and they never have to pay for it. It's, it's crazy. I just, I'm looking at our electricity bill and it's our electricity, which is weird because we use mostly gas for the, for the heating. So well, you better cut back on the video game playing because it says we use the most energy between 6 p.m. and 12 a.m. That's definitely video game time. Come on. The console does not use that much power. It says set your thermostat to 68. <laughs> I hate PG&E. My thermostat set below 68. Yeah. But anyways, let's get back to the case. People don't want to hear about our thermostat. I I just am very upset. Yeah. Well, let's, let's keep that. Okay. The, yeah, all right. Let's maybe. move to... July 1st, 1947, Chitose Hokiado, Japan. Do you want to do this one, Agent Ether? So there's no time. There was a target, and I think that wasn't that means it's picked up on radar. Sounds like it was picked up on radar. 16 miles north uh, of a base. So we're talking about some sort of like Air Force base. Well, presumably the base at Chitose. Yes. Hokiado. It was traveling on a course of 180 degrees, the GCA unit. What do you think that means? Military? Grand Control Air Force? I think it's a good guess. Great California America? No, it's in Japan. They, they like America over there. They called the tower to ask if there were any aircraft. As they were making the phone call, the target reversed its course by 360 degrees and was tracked until it was out of range about 28 miles. The target then changed course to 240 degrees and was tracked six miles where it reversed course again. And then it kind of zigzags along till it's north of the base and falls out of range. The Weird. nearest known operational Back then, we had the USSR of, of Russia it was during the Cold War, and the Air Force Base was north to this Air Force Base. It was actually, I don't know if you know this, but it was actually the height of the Cold War. The height of the Cold War. And it says it was about 234 nautical miles away. So, based the base contains a large aviation gasoline tank farm with a pipeline to the Korsakov Harbor, and it's capable of handling tankers. So maybe they were interested in that pipeline? I don't know. It mentions this pipeline. Hmm. And it mentions the Air Force Base having temporary runways of forty-five to 6,000 feet in length. Maybe they were able to use all of this to make some estimations. There's some... Uh, radar data here let me take a look at this <clears throat> well we have so many cases to go over this might be one to look at further in the future there's actually some details about here yeah yeah so we'll we'll uh we'll move on here. I, I will just say that it was it did end up being classified as a possible soviet photographic mission so i think the reason they're mentioning the pipelines and the airfields and the fact that it was an air force uh base in japan is because it was so close to Russia, and they thought maybe it was related. Yeah, could be. 
We'll have to look into this one a little bit more. All right. All right. Next hold up. on. I need some water. I'm like dying right. over here. I'll do a couple more while you're doing that. July 2nd, Roswell, New Mexico. At 9.50 p.m., Dan Wilmot, his wife, and his son, Paul, were home, at home. They saw a fireball come from the southeast directly overhead, and then it went and disappeared over Six Mile Mountain at an azimuth of 306 degrees, which is approximately northwest. That's a case summary, but I find it highly interesting, the location of that, which is, you know, of course, the famous Roswell, New Mexico. All right, next up, July 3rd, 1947. Yeah, this one's interesting. This is from San Diego, which is pretty close to where we are. I used to like to go down to San Diego. They have is, lovely oceans. That is nowhere near where we are. Well, actually, it's near where we used to live. Where we used to live, yeah. Let me clarify. <laughs> we used to live near San Diego, and That's we like would a, go down. It's like a 12-hour drive from here. The beaches are pretty <laughs> clean compared to other areas in Southern California. Anyways, on July 3rd at 12.45 p.m., there was a motor mechanist, Chief Robert L. Jackson, and one Chief William Baker, and they reported three saucer-shaped objects twice the size of a Navy aircraft and gleaming in the sun like aluminum, flying about 400 miles per hour over the ocean west of San Diego. <clears throat> Pretty weird, but... Uh, could be like an airplane seen in the distance. I don't know. They were flying at an estimated speed of 400 miles per hour. They came in from the west and circled, then flew back over the ocean. Jackson says they were about halfway from the horizon. They appeared to be round as saucers and were flying fairly close together in formation. The wire service accounts of this report did not say whether the report had been made to naval officials. All right. Next up, on also on July 3rd, we have the infamous Roswell, New Mexico incident. There it is. And I won't say much about this because we're probably going to do an entire episode on this one at some point. I mean, we have to get to it eventually, right? It's such a big deal in the world of ufology that I feel like we have to cover it sooner or later. But you know what? People keep voting against this one. I put it up for a vote, I think three times now, and people keep voting for other stuff. So it could be that people have heard enough about it already and they want to, they want to hear about other stuff. So who knows, but I'll, I'm sure I'll put it up for vote again for the Patreon. And, uh, in case, Oh, I didn't announce it, but in case you're unaware, we do have a Patreon and we have a vote on the upcoming topic for the top tier members. They get to choose what we're going to talk about. Pretty cool stuff. All right. Now, next up we have July 3rd, this one happened in South Brooksville, Harborside, Maine. At 2.30 p.m., an astronomer named John F. Cole was alerted by a roaring noise overhead. He looked up and he saw 10 very light-covered objects that were 50 to 100 feet wide. They were to the north at about a 50-degree elevation and they were flying in formation, in a formation that was about one and a half degree wide. How big is that? I have no idea. But this is a good measurement because when something's in the sky, you have you have no frame of reference. You don't know what the altitude's going to be. It could be something very large 
that's far away, something very small that's close, or anything in between. So an angular measurement like that is far more useful. There were two dark forms on the left of them, and two of the objects had darker projections, sort of like wings, coming out of them. The objects were moving like a swarm of bees to the northwest, and they appeared to be going 600 to 1,200 miles an hour and traveling at an arc of about 30 degrees. So about by 30 degrees, I guess that's he's saying at a distance, so they're estimating that's a 40 to 20-mile distance. The sighting took place over about 10 to 15 seconds. 1,200 miles an hour is approximately two times the speed of sound. That is really fast. All and, right. And I don't know, have you ever heard of Sonic Boom, Agent Ether? Boom! I have. So I used to live near a military base. Something going that fast is going to make a sonic boom, and you will hear it if it's a terrestrial vehicle. So that proves that this was aliens. <laughs> All right, you want to do the next one? I do, and I'll tell you why. It takes place in Santa Rosa, California. Santa Rosa, California. That sounds familiar. I guess the Press Democrat, which is the local newspaper, was founded in 1897. 1897? This is actually a report from 1947 from the Press Democrat. It was June 24th, and this is a quote. Wait, wait. June 24th, it says, the entry says July 3rd. Oh, that's very interesting. I wonder if there's a discrepancy there. It sounds like there's a discrepancy Whatever. Uh, it's it's all good. We're, we'll talk about it anyways. 5 p.m. The witness, a trained observer, said that from his location, it seemed to be about 1,000 feet above the main north-south runway at the airfield and judged that it was 10 to 20 foot in diameter. It was impossible to judge the size and distance accurately because there was nothing about the object that enabled him to make an accurate approximation of size. It was the shape of a giant pocket watch without the stem, and it was covered by silver material that looked like airplane aluminum. There were no marks of any sort on the surface. It was perfectly smooth. The object was moving at about the speed of a glider in normal flight altitude and indeed on his first glimpse automatically recorded in his mind as a glider but an instant later he realized there was something strange about it and looked back then noted that it had no wings no apparent projections of any sort it moved slowly in a northerly direction until it reached the north end of the runway then it turned to the east, banking slightly, and headed towards Santa Rosa. He was forced to turn his attention away from it for a moment, and when he looked again, it was gone. From his observation, he would believe the object was controlled in flight, either directly or by gyro control. Its only deviation from a straight path was for wind currents, and after tipping or rising with the current, it would recover its level flying position. The recovery was made in much the same manner as a glider appears to re recover when thermal current forces one wing up or down. At the same time, the return to normal was accompanied by an overcompensation effect which is typical of a gyro control. The witness could not say the object was a flying saucer, just something he'd never seen before in all the years he'd spent around airports. Although he was known to the press Democrat, he refused to let his name be publicized. 
Also, he had said not to put any credence in flying disc sightings because he felt they were far too intelligent for such nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) But after his own experience, and it cuts off. That's hilarious. So, (laughs) don't believe it. The name was withheld from a newspaper, but a civilian dentist was confirmed Dr. R. W. Nelson. And it's not clear if he's um, speaking for the witness or if he is the witness. Hmm. And it's called the giant pocket watch flies over the runway. That's the headline. That's I don't know what even to make of that. That's kind of (laughs) hilarious. So next up, we've got July 3rd, St. Marie's, Idaho. A one Mrs. Walter Johnson. You don't see that anymore. <laughs> they don't. They don't mean that it was uh, somebody who was. Um, they, they mean uh, that. Just move along. That was the husband's. It's just such. It's so old fashioned. It just kind of tickles me every time. You just don't see that anymore. Anyways, Mrs. Walter Johnson of Dishman, Idaho, and nine other witnesses near Saint Marie's saw eight objects land on the mountain at Butler's Bay near the St. Joe River. Mrs. Johnson said that they came into view, the saucers came into view, traveling very quickly from south to north and then suddenly slowed down, fluttered like leaves to the ground, and then landed. Sound familiar? Interesting. A lot of cases this year in 1947 reported some sort of fluttering motion. Very, very interesting. I'm having difficulties on my end. How do I make something larger? Well, just like a PDF? I got it. I got it. I got it. So there's actually a newspaper clipping, and there's a picture of (laughs) Captain J. Smith, the pilot, showing his stewardess a flying disc-like object that he says was seen over the Chicago airport after their arrival together. And it just, it tickles me. And she looks so 40s, like the hair. I love the hair from the 40s, all like smooth and curly and short, like the way they do. And she's wearing her little stewardess cap. And she's, of course, perfectly petite and fit. Yeah. <laughs> He's grinning like a lunatic. I, I love those old-fashioned <laughs> styles. The My favorite is when you go to those car meets, you know, and you got people dressing like they're from the 50s or something. You got like the guys are slicking their hair back with what looks like grease. <laughs> and then, you know, the ladies are wearing their skirts, the, those poodle skirts or whatever. You know, it's a lot of fun. So I have a part in the paper here that I'd like to read. Where is this from? It doesn't say which paper it's from. But it's after this article, it says, you too can see saucers. Not all those who reported seeing distant disks are referring from referring to spots before the eyes. W. Blakeel, science editor of the Associated Press, yesterday offered this comforting explanation. At any distance close to the limit of how far a person can see, all objects appear round or nearly so. The law of sight covers both small things seen nearby and large things seen at great distances. Flying saucers are round, bright, and moving fast, but they are no mystery because they are light reflected from airplanes that identified themselves when they came near enough to be seen distinctly. Interesting. (laughs) 
<laughs> so a scientist who is a reporter for the paper is assuring the masses that everything that they're seeing are simply airplanes, including what this pilot has seen. And he's a pilot yeah. <laughs> and should probably know better than reflecting lights off of airplanes. Don't worry about it, guys. It's just how your eyeballs look. Sometimes stuff that's, you know, my, my cell phone looks like a flying saucer once in a while. Exactly. Everything does. All right. Next up, we are moving to July 4th, and there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven... Sightings everywhere. Seven sightings on July 4th. And some people say that there's... The reason for this is that, oh, everybody's out and they're all drunk, right? <laughs> but maybe it's because on July 4th, everybody's outside. Looking at the sky. If uh, Probably for our international listeners... Which, you know, we just spoke with uh, Axe earlier on the Discord, who is in Norway. Or no, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Pardon me. Finland. Finland. Apologies. Um, you know, Americans and their stupid geography. That we don't like those Norwegians anyways. Yeah, damn Norwegians. <laughs> no, but you're probably unaware, but July 4th is our Independence Day. That's when we threw off the shackles of our British oppressors. Yeah, we don't want no stinking royalty. Yeah, get get out of here. And every year we celebrate that by having um, outdoors events and lighting off a bunch of fireworks. That's, Corn dogs. Yeah. Funnel cakes, fried butter. Wait, that's in the South. Getting fat, drinking beer, and lighting off fireworks. Yeah. <laughs> it's an American tradition. Yeah, so we do that every year. And that's why I say everybody's outside because on July 4th, everybody is outside. As long as the weather, weather permitting, of course, depending on where you live, Everybody's outside at the park having picnics, going to events. It's a it's a national holiday. So that's why I think there are more sightings on July 4th, potentially. I'm I'm looking at a NICAP report here. It is a map and it states that there are cases 209 to 296. Damn. So there is almost a hundred cases ranging from a single report to more than one report. It's a map of the United States, and the whole thing is just dotted with sightings. And there are many, many sightings in Southern California and along the Oregon-Washington border. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I was going to also say that there's a another pattern I've noticed is that people that smoke, it seems like they have UFO sightings more often and it has nothing to do with the nicotine or whatever. I think it's just because they're more likely to be outside, right? Right. I don't know. Could be something, could be nothing. Who knows? All right, let's talk about the first one here from July 4th. Redmond, Oregon, or near near Redmond, Oregon, at 11 a.m., a one C.J. Bogney and other witnesses were in a car near Redmond, and they saw four discs flying past Mount Jefferson on a straight course at a high rate of speed. That's all we've got for that one. Moving along, also on July 4th, near Portland and Milwaukee, Oregon, and Vancouver, Washington. So this one was seen all over the place, apparently. At 1 o'clock p.m., a newsman, Frank Cooley of Station K-O-I-N, Coin. <laughs> Um, and wire service employees in the Portland, Oregon Journal building and Clark County Sheriff's Deputy Fred 
Crives, Deputy Clarence McKay, Sergeant John Sullivan, Portland Police Officer Kenneth A. McDowell, a Patrol Captain K.A. Prawn, a Harbor Patrol. So a bunch of witnesses, basically. I'll skip over the rest. It's a whole, whole heap of people. And many, many people over a wide area saw five large disks moving at a high speed to the east. Two of them were flying south and five to the east. And they were, they were moving with an oscillating or wobbling motion. Sound familiar? As they were flying, they had, they would make sudden 90 degree turns or zigzag through the sky. Also something we've talked about in other sightings. There were reports on the radio and this alerted people who saw other people in other areas who also saw the objects and they reported, they all reported in cause they heard, you know, that it was a mass sighting and they reported that it was aluminum or chromium in color. They said the shape was disc hubcap or pie pan or a half moon shape and that it flashed in the sun. The witnesses reported no vapor trail, no noise. A few of them did report a possible humming sound. And the witnesses reported that the objects were anywhere from 1,000 feet to 40,000 feet. It varies. One of the witnesses noticed that pigeons seemed to react to the UFO, but pigeons react to everything all the time. So who knows? And that, I mean, this is a, a mass sighting that I was unaware of before doing this episode. There, there are differences between some of what the witnesses say, but seeing the very wide range that this was reported, that's not necessarily surprising. Some witnesses saw 12 discs. Some people saw 30 discs. It just depends on where they were. And I'm actually, I want to look into this one a little bit more. This one might be good for like an entire episode. This is a really good sighting. Yeah, I love I love it when there's multiple witnesses. It makes my heart happy. Yeah. All right, would you like to do the next July 4th UFO? Is this the one in Seattle, Washington? Yes, it is. 545. Ooh, there's a photo by a U.S. Coast Guard, one Frank Ryman, who took the first known photograph of a UFO, a white circular object which moved with the wind. Uh, the photo shows a round dot of light. Ooh. Ooh. I'm going to click on it and see if there's a photo. I'm so excited. Let's see. Um, okay. Let's see. Photo? No. Let me see here. Linky poo photo? No. Sometimes you really got to dig through stuff to find the photos. And oftentimes, the only photos remaining are newspaper printings, which are not very good quality. All right, so that was Seattle, Washington. Let's move on to Portland, Oregon. There are three, three right in a row in Portland, Oregon here. We have one at 2 p.m. A1 EA7, EA Evans saw three metallic disks glinting in the sunlight, moving west to east, and then two more followed it heading to the north. At 4.30, so a couple hours later, Mrs. L.J. Hayward saw a silvery disc-shaped object looking like a new dime flipping in an erratic path and moving slowly. So we have, once again, that flipping erratic motion. And at 5 p.m., about 30 minutes later, 
Portland and Milwaukee, Oregon and Vancouver. This one sounds like a, a mass sighting. And this one lists other sightings at 1 o'clock, 4.30. So maybe this is, oh, this is just a summary of the other ones, maybe. I'm not sure. There's not much here for this one. All right. And then also on July 4th, we have the next one, which is near Emmett, Idaho. You want to talk about this one, Agent Ethan? No, you talk about it. I'm going to clicky-click. Okay, you're going to clicky-click. All right. July 4th, 1947, near Emmett, Idaho at 9.12 p.m. A United Airlines flight captain, Emil J. Smith, and First Officer Ralph Stevens, stewardess Marty, stewardess Marty, is Marty a girl's name? Marty Morrow. It might be short for like Margaret. Yeah, it could be. Uh, um, Marty Morrow was, who was called in by Smith to confirm what they were seeing they saw an object flying northwest on a heading of 300 degrees from Boise to Seattle. Oh, no, wait. They were flying. Never mind. So, uh, apologies. They were flying from Boise to Seattle at 7,000 feet, and they saw five disc-shaped objects with flat bottoms and rough tops. The objects were approximately 100 feet in size, and they moved at varying speeds in a loose formation. They were about a thousand feet higher in altitude than the flight and about 10 degrees left of their heading or approximately 290 degree heading with one high and to the right of the objects in the distance. And they all disappeared to the West in a gradual climb at about 9 20 PM. So it lasted about eight minutes. And, but then after that more objects, came into view at a slightly higher heading to the west. Smith tried to close in on the objects. Why would you do that? You're flying a passenger plane, you <laughs> psychopath. <laughs> at 180 mi 85 miles an hour as he climbed from 7,000 to 8,000 feet, but he could not get anywhere near the objects. What is wrong with you? <laughs> You're flying people around. Yeah, he's excited. All right, and that's what we have for July 4th. He's quoted as saying, the second group, when they left, they sure did leave fast. So they flew very quickly. That's what he says. I, I guess it's an important case. It says here, um, because they were so experienced in the sky at spotting objects that were aerial. Yeah, but a lot of these cases are dealing with people who are pilots, scientists, military people. I mean, we're, we're not talking about a bunch of, you know, hippies here because there were no hippies in 1947. <laughs> you know, we're talking about qualified people, not the hippies aren't qualified, no offense to the hippies out there. <laughs> but I mean, you know, they're, they're not people who are um, unreliable witnesses, I should say, you know, we're, we're having a lot of reliable witnesses here. And what, what are you doing there, Agent Ether? I found a photo. Did you now? It's just a little bright light, though. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's very difficult to take. I've talked about this before. It's very difficult to take photographs of lights in the sky. I've tried it myself. And even of objects, you know, I'll just photograph stuff. I know what it is, like an airplane or something, just to see if I can get the photo to come out. Not that easy to do. True or false. 19 sea saucers. I love these headlines. <laughs> 
So there's, yeah, I'm looking through these files right here. There's a newspaper clippings with some headlines and a photo of a UFO. All right. We have a couple of sightings on July 5th. Only two of them this time. Let's move along. July 5th, Albuquerque, New Mexico. At nine in the morning, a witness saw five discs fly toward the city. One circled back or flew, so flew toward the city and went over the city to the east. One circled back over the city. And then later on in the afternoon, more witnesses saw a sphere maneuvering in and out of clouds. Kind of weird. Also on July 5th in Seattle, Washington, at 12.40 p.m., Sergeant Rainer Kane reported two disc-like objects that were shaped like footballs. He said that one banked slightly at about 8,000 feet and then shot up and out of sight to the north. The second one followed that first one about a minute behind, and it wobbled as it flew north and then climbed out of sight. So pretty much a similar, same flight, flight path, basically. But the second one was wobbling. The first one was not. What to make of it? I don't know. There was a sighting on, so there's a bunch on July 6th, so one, two, three, four. The first of which was an engineer that saw an oval UFO, not much to that one. The next, uh, that one was in central Wyoming. The next one we have here is from Buckley, Colorado. This one happened sometime during the day. We're not sure exactly what time it was. Leroy Krieger, who was an aerologist second class, I'm not sure what that is. James Cavallari, those are the two witnesses, reported seeing a bright round silvery object shooting up and down noiselessly for several minutes, kind of like a yo-yo. We've seen this before. It's a fairly unusual type of sighting, but I have seen this once or twice before. And then it left at a high rate of speed. Bye-bye. Then we have one at the Fairfield Susan Air Force Base. How how would you pronounce that? Suisan. 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 S U I S A N. Have you heard of the Fairfield Suisan Air Force Base? I have not heard of that. I have. There was a Captain and Mrs. James H. Berniston. Oh dear, that must be his wife. When we were still <laughs> referred to women by their husbands' names. Cute. Saw a highly reflective round flat object having no wings or tail the size of a C-54 transport, approximately 118 feet, rolling side to side and three times then roll. Wow. That rolled side to side three times then flew away very fast from the northwest to either the southeast to the southwest at 10,000 feet. There's actually a secret file. And I say secret because it's stamped as secret uh, for a unidentified flying object. It gives the latitude and longitudinal coordinates, and it does specify the direction of flight was southeasternly. The object traveled at a height of 10,000, moving faster than any aircraft I've ever seen. It was under observation for 60 seconds, during which time it traveled over three-fourths of the visible sky. No definite color or shape could be determined. 
the object appeared to roll from side to side three times, and then in one side reflected the sun strongly from its surface. Let's see, this is redacted, and no sound could be attributed to the aircraft. Oh, and then it goes on and on and on. It's a little bit difficult to read, but there's a couple more pages. And that's the end of that case file. Just a side note, Fairfield Susan Air Force Base is known today as Travis Air Force Base. Oh, I know where Travis Air Force Base is. Right. Okay. It's not that far from here, actually. No, it is not. It's probably about an hour drive, hour and a half, depending on traffic. Speaking of an hour, what's our time going at here? We are at about an hour 10 with the edits. It'll probably be somewhere in the ballpark of an hour. So that was, uh, let's see, let's do what, there's one more on July 6th. Let's do that one and we can wrap it up. We only made it to early July. <laughs> oh my God. We're never going to we'll get do, through this. We'll have to do some bonus episodes here because uh, I want to move on to another topic for a regular episode next week. But anyways, the last one for July 6th happened at the Clay Center Kansas, or is Clay Center a city name? I don't know. At 145 p.m. Yeah, it's it's the city name. That's a strange city name. No offense to people. Is it? Okay, you talk. I will look it up. All right. At 145 p.m., pilot Major A.B. Browning and his crew were flying a B-25 to Kansas City when they saw a silvery circle object 30 to 50 feet in diameter following the aircraft at a slightly lower altitude. It followed them for a little while, and then it shot off at a high speed, heading to the east at about 11,000 feet and 210 miles an hour, approximately. And i just like to throw in there, it is indeed a city. Strange name for a city, but uh, so is Santa Rosa, I suppose. So who, who are we to judge, you know? All right, so that is, I guess we'll wrap it up around here. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. We will continue this. I think I want to continue the rest on a bonus episode. I do want to get through 1947, but, um, I want to move on to a different topic next week. So we will move on to a different topic. Because and, we're only about halfway done. Oh God. I know there's so many, but that's, that's why I wanted to do 1947 is because there's an insane number of UFO sightings, but also it, it's taking longer than I thought it would. So <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, well, what, and and we're even skimming. There's actually documents that I I would like to go over that we're not just for sake of time. We're doing the short, short, short. There's version. a lot of California sightings too at airfields. There's the Maroc Army Air Force Base. There's oh up in Fort Bragg. That's not too far from us. Um, another one at the Maroc Army Airfield. Oh, a bunch of them. So yeah, I would definitely like to do this bonus episode with you. Awesome. I'm always down if somebody wants to join me on a bonus episode. Heck yeah. All right. So next time we will start with July 7th. <laughs> and uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Shout out to our live audience. We Oh, it's, it's it has grown in size since we've been here a little bit. We've got titanium over dot, dot, dot. Axe. Dick Cheese m- M dot dot dot. It's uh, McGee. For Mickey. It's, it's got to be one of my favorite usernames ever. Dick Cheese McGee. Denver and... Our probably our number one fan, Ozzy Mima. Ozzy Mima. <laughs> All right. <laughs> awesome. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, I think I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little bit of after hours here, but I might do it offline because I have to take a pit stop here. <laughs> you know, and take a little break here. So uh, thank you guys so much for listening. 
And um, if you enjoy the show, you can really help us out by leaving us a good review wherever you listen to podcasts and suggesting the show to your friends. And until next time. Give Agent Anderson money. Oh, wait. wait, That's that's, not what I'm supposed to say. (laughs) I wasn't pitching Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding, but not really. Keep it strange. (laughs) (laughs) That was kind of a weird (laughs) sign-off. Bye, guys.